Matthew chapter 4. Before we get going, let us pray and ask God's blessing this time together. Father, we praise you. We thank you because you're so good to us. You've loved us. You've given us your son. You've poured out the spirit so that we might commune with you in the spirit and delight in you and know your many, many, many blessings in the fellowship and the presence of your goodness. Father, we ask this morning that you would help us to see and understand that you would encourage us and stir in us a love and a desire to to be on mission with you in this world. For we ask this in Jesus. Amen. Well, when it comes to being on mission, as we've looked at, we've been looking at, one of the thing one of the things is for certain as we think about this whole idea of being on mission with God is that God's people constantly fail. Constantly fail in this mission. Constantly get off mission. And we mess it up from the beginning. We've we've messed it up from the beginning. And there is something there's a re, there's a reason for this because Throughout it all, from the very beginning, if you guys remember what we talked about, is that God, in the very beginning, promised a son. He promised a son who would come and be the perfect son and deliver. And here's a son who is going to come. And he was, when he gets on mission, he comes and he fulfills his mission, he would do it perfectly. No more messing up. No more failure. No more getting off track. No more idle, idle worship and, and heading away from the Lord our God and heading into the ways of the world this beloved son was going to come and do it right. And this is precisely what happens when Jesus shows up. When Jesus shows up on the scene, he is this perfect son, and he fulfills the mission perfectly. Now the question is, what is his mission? What was Jesus' mission when he came? Well, he stated actually explicitly his mission in various ways throughout the Gospels. And as we looked at a couple weeks ago, I I, I mentioned some of these, where it says in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So why did Jesus come? What was his mission? He says, I have come, the Son of Man has come, to seek, to go after, and to save that which is lost. In Mark 10.45, he said that the Son of Man came to give his life a ransom for many. In John 10.10, Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And then in 1 John 3.8, it says that the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. And there's other statements that Jesus makes. They're not all identical and exactly the same, but one thing's for certain, one thing's true, that Jesus... No matter how you slice it, he came to seek and to save the lost. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to the world to save the world and deliver the world. This is the mission of Jesus, and this is the mission Jesus accomplished. And as he went about performing his ministry, if we look in the Gospels, if you read the Gospels, you study the Gospels, you study his ministry, there are four major components to Jesus' ministry. You'll see these four components throughout. You'll see that what Jesus, first of all, does is that he reaches out and ministers to the lost. He goes out and he ministers to the lost. 
And then as he's doing this ministry and proclaiming the kingdom, what happens is that there's those who respond to him. There's those who respond to what he's doing and what he's saying, and he, he starts to disciple them. He dis- and that's the second component. He disciples those who respond. The third component we'll even see, you'll see in Luke chapter 6, as Jesus, these guys follow him for a while, and then Jesus takes and he selects 12 who become the apostles. And these 12, he trains for ministry. That's the third component, selecting these leaders that he's going to train for ministry. And the fourth component is this, Jesus then sends them out to multiply the ministry. We see this in Luke chapter 9, we see this in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus now is multiplying the ministry, that they go and do likewise. So these are the four major components in Jesus' ministry. Reaching out to lost by ministering to them, discipling those who respond, training the leaders, and then sending them out to multiply ministry. And you'll see this throughout the Gospels. This was clearly a ministry of multiplication. Jesus wanted those to... He trained to repeat what he did until the whole world was brought into his kingdom. So when Jesus is done, his ministry, his work on earth is done. One thing that's not done is the mission isn't complete. All the groundwork is laid. His particular mission is accomplished perfectly. And and he's about ready to ascend to the Father. What does he do to the church? He commissions the church. And he says, go. Go, therefore, on the basis of what I've done and who I am, go and disciple the nations. Disciple the nations. So, excuse me. It's choked on my tongue. If we're to be faithful to the mission he gave us, then it means that we must also learn the ways of making disciples and following it. It means that we must look to the Master, we must look to Jesus, and see how did Jesus minister to these people, and then we replicate that. Because that's what Jesus was trying to do. He was just replicating his ministry. But here's often what we do today. If we were to ask a lot of people, say, hey, what is the mission of the church? Most people would say to make disciples. A lot of people get that. Not everybody, but a lot of people get that. A sense of, yeah, it's to make disciples. Okay, and so that's, we know that that's the mission. We know that's the mandate from our Lord. But then from there, what we do is we say, okay, now we know that that's what we're supposed to do. So how do we do that? And then from there, what we do is we usually go follow best practices. Well, who's doing a best job at making disciples and look around? Well, they're doing well. What are they doing? And we, we devise programs to try to facilitate this mission. But what we should do is say, hey, wait a second. Why don't we study the way Jesus did it and then follow that? That's a clever idea. Wow! That's what I was thinking. Because after all, he's the master, the master discipler. And because he is, that is what we're going to do over the next several weeks in regard to this. Looking at how did Jesus, in these four particular components of his ministry, how did he do it? Because when you study it and you look at his methodology, it's actually very brilliant. It's something that should be looked at and, and studied more often. And then from there, we can, we can assess and, and discern the principles that he's using and then apply it to our situation. 
So to begin with, let's look at the first thing Jesus did as he began his ministry. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 through 25, Jesus has just been tempted in the wilderness by Satan. And now he comes out and he's performing his ministry. And this is a description of what he's doing at the very beginning. Beginning at verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So the question is, why was his fame spreading all over the place? It wasn't because he was such a great preacher, which he was. He was a great preacher. The text says explicitly in verse 24 that his fame spread throughout all Syria. And then as a result, what happens? His fame, his fame about what? They brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases, and the demon possessed, etc. He, he, they realized that people are coming from everywhere. This guy is a miracle worker. Jesus heals everybody. That's what it says. He doesn't, he doesn't reject anybody. He's out ministering and healing everybody. The people, the reason people were coming to him from all over the place, was to get healed and delivered. They had serious needs, and Jesus was ministering to those needs in a way they had never experienced before. This is also what he told his disciples to do as well. When he commissioned them to go in Luke chapter 9, verse 12, uh, 1 through 2, this is what he said. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And then in Luke chapter 10, Jesus does the same thing, but this time with the 70 disciples. Now it's even, it's expanded even further. And he says, this is what Jesus says to them. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So here we have it. What are they to do? Do what I'm doing. Heal the sick, cast out demons, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. So Jesus' ministry expands, and as the leaders were trained, he tells them to go and do exactly what he was doing. So in terms of Jesus' methodology, the first thing he would do is he would go out identifying the needs of the people. They see, okay, you're blind. May your blindness be gone. And your blindness is gone. He notices, he sees people, or they bring, there's someone there who has a, uh, a, a deformed hand, and he says, he comes up to the, the person that says, hand grow back, and the hand grows back. Somebody has a demon, he says, demon be gone, and the demon's gone. So Jesus is seeing and identifying the needs of the people around him, and then he's ministering to those needs. That was, that's how he began his ministry. And then, obviously, at the same time, he's also proclaiming the good news of this kingdom 
Because as listen to what he tells the disciples to do. He says, tell them the kingdom of God has come near. What he's doing is he's taking the kingdom of God and he's pressing it into their lives, the world around him. The kingdom of God is coming and it's impacting their lives. So the, here's what we have to see from this and understand. That if we're to go and make disciples and do this well, then the first thing we should do is identify and minister to needs. Now the question is, how does this, how do we do this in our day and age? How do we, you and I, do this here in the Linwood and Seattle area? Well, certainly we, we know that, at least last time we checked, we don't typically go around and heal every sickness and disease and cast out demons. I don't know, maybe some of you are out there doing that, but I doubt it. But something we have to understand is that when it comes to, here's the principle. Whether a person casts out demons and whether a person heals the sick and raises the dead, the point here is this, the principle is this, that identifying the needs of the people around you and ministering to them. Just think of what Peter said, that Peter and John are headed to the temple to pray. What they said is uh, to this blind, uh, lame beggar in the temple, begging for money, Peter says, gold and silver I have not, but what I have I give to you. Rise up and walk. So if they would have had gold and silver, they would have gave it to them. But he he says, what would, they, they identified a guy with need and they ministered to him. He says, we don't have gold or silver, but we have something probably a little better. Rise up and walk. And he rose up and walked. You know, I think that when we see the people around us, the world in which we live, one of the greatest things that's missing today is the Christian influence through merciful action, showing acts of kindness to people. The other thing that I know that is missing is a really a, a big lack of prayer on our behalf for the world and the people around us. I think we need to be more willing and diligent to pray for people who have sicknesses and diseases. Because in many cases, I really believe that God will do miraculous things and heal them because God delights to do this and show them his love, show them his kindness, show them his power so that they could see it. But in, which is often the case, we don't do that nearly enough. I also know from, from personal experience that most non-Christians appreciate being prayed for. There's some who, who don't, but a lot of them do. So this is, I think this is in terms of asking what can we do and how can we go out and minister to people? One of the first things we can do is get doing is realizing that the people who live around us, they have needs. And you can initially, at least first, the first thing you know you can do is you can pray for them. Pray for their needs. Pray for the things that are going on in their lives. And what's even better than just praying for them, especially silently, is actually, in the moment, to pray for them and ask them if you can pray for them. And they say, yeah, and a lot of times they expect you to just go home and pray or go somewhere else and pray. Say, can I pray for you right now? How often do we do that? Almost never. And of course, there are situations where that's not appropriate. You you know, the lunchroom at at work and and there's people around and... it's not appropriate to break out in prayer there. But there are times and places where we know it would be perfectly fine to say, could I pray for you right now? 
I think we need to, they, they need to encounter the sense of that God's people, God's children are extending the kingdom of God and bringing love and grace and goodness to the people around them, just as Jesus and the disciples did. But beyond just praying, which I think is, is something we all could ramp up quite easily. We could pray for our friends and coworkers and neighbors and the people around us. We could see needs and begin praying for people and, as, and pray with people. And it's huge. It's a huge component. It's one of the glorious ways we can minister to them. But beyond this, if the people around us, they might not be filled with sicknesses, disease, and demons. Perhaps your friends are. I don't know. But they might not be. So they they might be just doing pretty well, pretty fine on the outside of things. But you can still guarantee that they have needs needs that you can minister to. You simply need to be interested in people and want to get to know them. And once you get to know them and they know you're interested in them, you find out things about them. And it can be as simple as, you know, you starting to pray for your neighbors, perhaps. You pray for your neighborhood, the the neighbors that you live around you. And then when you see them, you could tell them, hey, I've been praying for you guys. Is there, and we, we as a family, we, around the table, we pray for you every night. And just wonder, is there anything sp- specific that we could pray for you for? That's a wonderful way to find out what some needs are. And then when they give you things to pray for, it also might reveal some needs that you can physically minister to as well. Let's just say that you tell them in a, they tell you in a conversation that they're overwhelmed with the care and the work that they have to do at their widowed mother's home. In this situation, not only can you tell them that you'll pray for them, that God would give them strength and wisdom in dealing with this, but also you could do something practically for them. You could minister to them and show them the love and the goodness and the kindness of the kingdom, right? Just think, what, what could you do? Perhaps you could, you could uh, take them over a meal knowing they're busy. Perhaps you could offer to take their kids for a day. Perhaps you could find out more about the needs of the widow, the widowed mother, and find out maybe there's things you could do at her place. The big thing is find out needs. Because one of the things that Jesus and the disciples do, again, watch what they do. The first thing they do is they go out, and we can't just think that, oh, this is just a mir- signs and wonders, miraculous things happening. Jesus, he has compassion on the people. And he's come to deliver. He's come to minister. And one of the things he does is that these are needs, and he meets their needs. And in meeting their needs, this is what they told the disciples, tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. The experience... This kingdom of God flooding into the world is going to change things because of the way we treat one another and act towards people. Here's another example. Let's say you're talking to someone at work, but this time you're, you're asking more questions than usual about how things are going and how they're doing and what comes, what, and what's going on in their life. And then you find out this, you find out that they're moving. Now, instead of saying, Oh, that sucks. I hate moving. Guess what? You're presented with an opportunity, an opportunity where you could minister to them. You could say, hey, I'd love to come help you. And then you could tell the other people in the church and say, hey, you know what? 
There's someone at, at work who's moving and we could go minister to them. And, and you know what? Someone here did that. <laughs> Mike did that at his work and it's to this day had a lasting impact in this girl's life and in the workplace. That's powerful because you know what? Your best friends make excuses to help you move in the world. Nobody likes to move, help you move. But yet, if it's a beer and pizza night, everyone shows up. And, it, and here, this is the world they live in. They live in a world that does not know love, grace, goodness. It, they don't, don't know it. It's selfishness, right? There's opportunities all around us. Here's another example of how this can play out. And I'll give you these so you can just set your mind spinning in all the different ways in which people, you live in and around people, neighbors and coworkers and people at the grocery store. And there's ways that you can have a huge impact in their life. Let's say you're talking to, a, to the cashier that you've gotten to know over the years at the grocery store you go all the time. And when you ask her how she's been, she tells you, well, things have been better. My husband's company is making cutbacks and he's going to lose his job. I'm terribly concerned that we won't even be able to afford school supplies this year for our kids. Now, of course, you could say, man, I I am going to pray for you and I'm going to pray for your family and pray for your husband. But you know what else? Bing, 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 bing. You just heard a, a way that you can minister to them. Wouldn't it be cool if you went home that night, sat around with your kids and said, hey, hey guys, there's this lady at the grocery store and they're really concerned about being able to afford school supplies. Why don't we go to the store, we'll get a couple of backpacks and stuff them full of all the school supplies that we need and we'll take it to them. You want to talk about impacting their lives, their world? You want to, you want to, you want to show them the, the kingdom of God? I'll tell you what, that, that is powerful. This is what we need to do. Because what do you think that does to people's world? It shatters the world that they thought they knew and the world that they live in. The kingdom of God has come crashing into their lives and they get to taste its goodness. There are so many ways that you and I can minister to the people God has naturally already placed around us. Ways that they can experience the goodness of the kingdom of God. And I can guarantee you that you'll make a very large impact in people's lives. And this is what I want to touch on briefly next. I want us to ponder for a moment the potential impact this has when we actually take and assess people's needs, we see their needs, and we minister to them. Because this is something that's been tremendously forgotten. We need to understand that this is huge and it really does make a difference in people's lives. When Jesus began ministering the people the way he did, he began to shake up the whole region of Judea. As we looked at the text, verse 24, his fame spread throughout all Syria. Now, we know that it spread and that they all hear about him, and so they bring him all the sick and those afflicted with various diseases and pains and, and those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them all. And great crowds followed him. 
Great crowds followed him because this man did, has done for them what nobody has ever done for <clears throat> Excuse me, has done for them. Jesus was ministering to their needs in a miraculous and marvelous way. And as he did so, what happened? As he told the disciples, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. This is clearly, this clearly wasn't, as his disciples went out, it wasn't an elaborate speech, was it? When Jesus said, when you go out into these communities and you minister to these people, what did he he say to tell them in Luke chapter 10? He says, says, tell them, and this is what I want you to tell them, the kingdom of God has come near you. Clearly there's much more to say than this, but that's not a, they're not saying a whole lot at this point. He says, I just want you to do this. Now think about this. Why does Jesus just want them to go and do all this ministry in people's lives and have such an impact in their lives? And then I just want you to tell them this and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Because the kingdom of God isn't just about words. It's about actions that transform lives, that transform the world. Recreating things. Just think of it like this, like a farmer. The absolutely essential work of a farmer that he must do is to prepare the land for the soil. No, prepare the land for the seed. Prepare the soil for the seed. He must first till it, break it up, get it ready, and get it ready to receive the seed. For Then he knows when he plants the seed, it'll bring in a bountiful harvest. In the same way, the kingdom of God comes forward. And Jesus, if you think of all the people he's touching, it says he heals them all. He's ministering to them. And and he teaches and he asks questions and he proclaims about the kingdom, but he's constantly moving forward. It's like he's tilling Judea. And 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 he multiplies the ministry and he says, go out and continue to till, till Judea. And bring, bring, help them experience and know the kingdom of God and, and it'll have an impact on them and tell them the kingdom of God is near. And sometimes I wonder if you think about all this tilling that took place and then he pours out the spirit in Acts chapter one, in Acts chapter one, and then we look at what happens in Acts and how there's just such a, a bountiful harvest. People everywhere are believing and turning to the Lord and being baptized. How much was all that preparatory work involved in, in the poor, and when the Spirit came, the ministry that, that happened in Acts? We've got the preparation, it seems like, in the Gospels, and the realization in Acts. We need to understand that what people need is not just a presentation of words, but an encounter with the love and the goodness of God's kingdom. Yes, they need words. Yes, they need to hear the gospel. But often it's what we think, what is our calling? What should we do? Well, we should just preach to them. Just tell them, this is is what you do. Well, yeah, they have to be told. But if you look at the ministry of Jesus and and how he goes about it, first of all, there's this ministering to the needs. And then mixed within that, there's this proclamation of the kingdom. And we're going to look at that in in, uh, sermons to come here about the proclamation and how that works. But one thing we can't forget, one thing we, we can't overlook is this impact that this, this ministry to the needs of the people had. 
And why is that? Why is this so important? Because if you think about how, where do people live today? What kind of world do we live in? They live in a world, they live in a kingdom that is one of selfishness, one of darkness, one of brokenness. It's a me first, look out for number one, do what feels good kingdom. That's this world. And as a result, this world is filled with broken people constantly looking to deal with their brokenness and pain by fulfilling their passions and lusts, even if it means hurting others. What they need, what this world needs, is to encounter the kingdom of God, a kingdom of healing, a kingdom of forgiveness, a kingdom of love, a kingdom of life, a kingdom of freedom, a kingdom of blessing that comes through King Jesus. But they won't experience this kingdom unless you and I, the children of the kingdom, get out into the community and start loving the people God has placed around us in very practical ways. We have to realize that we're only, we are the only means through which the world is going to experience the goodness of God's kingdom. We are Jesus's what? We are his body. Jesus has commissioned us to go, to go and make disciples. Now we must, we must realize, we say, okay, now how do we go? Well, we go the, the way we talked about. The first thing you do, the very first thing to start cultivating the ground is you need to go and just start ministering to the people around you. This means praying for them and serving them. And the impact it has on them is tremendous. Because these people begin to experience love. They should see and experience a love that they don't know in the world. They should see and experience grace that they don't ever know or experience in the world. They should see and experience a goodness that they don't ever see or know in the world because that is the confrontation of the kingdom of God pressing in on the kingdom of darkness. What does the world know? Me first selfishness. Fulfill your pleasures and lusts. Always looking, but never receiving. Never fulfilled. You know, I think often we have a wrong view of the world around us. We think they aren't interested in Jesus, and they're hostile towards religion, and would never want to talk to us about God or their beliefs. And why? We draw these conclusions because we've probably attempted to tell others about Jesus, or we've seen others do so, and that was strange, that was awkward, and that was very uncomfortable. And so we conclude, it's like, ooh, these people aren't very interested in this at all. But the reason that happens so often is because it's gone about in, the completely, in a completely wrong way. If you watch the ministry of Jesus, and we're going to get into this in the weeks to come, what's profound, especially as he's dealing with people in conversation, is how laden with questions he is. He's never trying to close the deal or give them the gospel presentation. He ministers to them, and so often in conversation what he's doing is he's asking questions and drawing them out. And if you look at his methodology, it's never weird or awkward, except for sometimes when he asks questions that make it maybe a little awkward in terms of the truth and the reality of where they're at. He can, he, he has this ability, just like if there's somebody who's, who's, who he notes that's genuinely inter- interested, you watch the difference between that person and like a Pharisee. 
And if he gets in a confrontation with a Pharisee and he can assess where people are at, that's the other thing we need to be able to discern. Or is where are people at? Where are they coming from? What's going on? But I think if we, if we began to use a methodology where we've, we've plowed forward, we step forward by ministering and serving and blessing and loving the people around us so they could taste and experience and see the kingdom of God, you'd be amazed and you'd be shocked at the impact it has in people's lives. Let me just tell you this. It wouldn't be long and people would be asking you about the, for the reason, for the hope that lies within you. The only thing you'd have to get prepared for in this situation is having some really good conversations as a result of this. Because you impact people's lives and you do things and they're interested in you. I've seen this happen with the guys I've reached out with even in hockey. How all the times that I've got together with them, and it's been any private conversation, because of the cultivation of the relationship and the ministry to them and the things that happen in life and the ways that I've prayed for them and stuff like that, I don't even know how it happens. Believe me, I have no technique or trick for you whatsoever. Don't ever even think or plan about how you're going to bring this up. I don't know how it happened, but it got brought up. Next thing you know, we're talking about... Jesus and the gospel and God and all those things. And it was an amazing conversation. And I, was, I remember sometimes sitting in the, in the middle of the conversation thinking, how do we get here? I wish I could figure this out because then I maybe get there again sometime. But all that it was was this the, the cultivation of the relationship and ministering to them. And then when we, we had opportunity given certain situations, they're bringing it up. I, you know, I honestly think that if we would just understand the impact this has in people's lives and what it will cultivate and create in terms of ministry, if you would reach out, if you would show interest in the people around you, and if you would seek to go out and minister to the people around you and find ways to minister to them and pray for them, it wouldn't be long and you'd be one of the most effective evangelists around you would see all kinds of fruit. And you would have stories to tell on a regular basis of having amazing conversations with these people about Jesus. And you'd have no technique. You would say, I don't know what I did. I don't know how we got talking about this. But it's great. It's amazing. And why is that? Because you are dealing with a world that does not know the kingdom of God. They do not know the love of Christ Jesus. They do not know what it's like to have people sacrificially give to them. They do not know what it's like to have somebody serve them with no agenda. It's strange. It's it rattles their brains. And they kind of like what you have. You've got something going on. What is it? There's something different about you. You know, I can guarantee you this as well. You know when you're ministering to people effectively, when they're asking you all kinds of questions, and you could say, hey, Dean, you come to me. Man, 
what do I say? They're asking me this, they're asking me this, they're asking me this, and I have no idea what to say. That's glorious. Awesome. You, well, we, you can learn these things. But you should get to the place, you should live in such a way that people want to ask, they want to know. And it, you, you're getting opportunities, and then the next question is, man, I, there's so many of these questions they ask me, and I don't even know how to answer them. That's amazing. That, that is phenomenal. You get to that place and you know you're cultivating the ground. And some of us don't have the pro- this problem, but we have the problem of always, we know, we know what to say and we want to say it. We just want to declare. We just want to proclaim. We just want to preach. And declare, proclaim, preach, just give me, hey, hey, tell your neighbor, if you could just be quiet for 10 minutes, I could tell you what you need to know. And you tell them and you pontificate and you walk away, man, that felt good. Got to preach the gospel to them. And they walk away scratching their heads wondering, what's that? That guy is just, that was strange. That's weird. What we need to realize, and this is, when it comes to the power and the impact of the gospel in people's lives, the first thing, so how do we set out? How do we get on mission? What do we go and do? The first thing we need to get going and get doing is ministering to the needs of the people around us. And all of us can do that. All of us can, can become more aware. We gotta stop walking past people. We gotta stop turning a blind eye. We gotta stop just being focused and caught up on our own world that we just shoot, shoot, shoot people, relationships, uh, uh, acquaintances, uh, coworkers, neighbors just go right by us. We've gotta stop. Hey neighbor, how you doing? Get involved. Ask them questions. Be interested. And minister to them. And then watch what happens. That's the first step. You do that, and I'm telling you what, that is a game changer. And as we move on, and if you look at what, you know, talking and the things that we need to say to them, that starts to make a whole lot more sense as well. But for now, that's what do we do? We need to get on mission. If we're going to get on mission, what do we do? We have to go ministering to the needs of the people around us, just like Jesus taught his disciples to do. And tell them the king, this is the kingdom of God coming near. Amen. Father, we're so thankful that Jesus drew near, that Jesus came to us, that you, Lord, sent your beloved Son because you loved us You reached out to us. You sought us. You went after us, ministering to us, serving us, sacrificing for us and giving to us. We praise you, O Lord, that you loved us in this way. I pray for everybody here that they would know and understand how you love them and they would turn and go and love their neighbors in the same way, ministering to them as they've been ministered to. For we ask this in Jesus. Amen.